and you're listening to The Searchers, a film podcast that focuses on finding films that deserve to be seen more often by modern audiences. We cover old, we cover new, and everything in between. I'm your host, Papa, and with me today is Kid. Sorry, I can't do a Cary Grant accent. Oh, sure you can, Papa. Sure you can. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Benjamin. Christopher, so, uh, don't forget yourself. That's in reference. Oh, I won't forget myself. I'm your host, everybody. Christopher, yes. And this week's movie, our reference just now, was for Only Angels Have Wings, the 1939 film made by Howard Hawks. So what were your first impressions of this film, Benjamin? First impressions were good. I had to really think about it, actually, for like a day to see how I would rate it. So obviously we'll save that for the end, but no, it's good. What do you think? I mean, are you as hot on it as other people that we follow on Letterboxd? I know it's pretty highly regarded. It's a classic. I was surprised. I was surprised in were... that. Okay. How I suppose going into this, I knew that it was highly re- regarded by, I'll say, a small group of people. It's only logged by 25,000 people on Letterboxd. And I was surprised at how highly regarded it was or is by those people only because in every film circle I've been in, which, you know, that's a limited experience, obviously, I have rarely ever heard the film mentioned. And I couldn't tell you previously to have watched it. Um, a day or two ago, I would not have been able to tell you the title off the top of my head as for a film from 1939. Like if someone had asked me what's the Howard Hawks picture from 1939, I wouldn't have been able to have answered that question. I maybe So I knew nothing. Yeah. I could have might... maybe guessed that guessed not known off the top of my head, but guessed, uh, but that's fair. And I'm not, I'm not fam- unfamiliar with Howard Hawks. I love Rio Bravo and I am aware and I am aware of ball of fire among other films that he has made. So it was interesting. This was a pick that intrigued me because of a lot of the mutual people that I follow and you and Kevin follow it. It's highly regarded and that intrigued me probably most um, above all. And it's funny that I didn't even realize it was a Howard Howard Hawks film until you and I were going back and forth about it previously to the show. So we 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 realized it. We just didn't realize it. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I'm saying yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean Howard J-Rock, Hawks, J Rock, J Rock to the ROC. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean Hawks that has you picked this for whatever reason, decided, oh, yeah, I'm just going to watch His Girl Friday, which is probably his, it's his most popular popular movie, uh, I would probably say, or well-known. That, Rio Bravo, of course. Um, anything with Bogart that he had done, like The Big Sleep, To Have or Have Not, uh, Lauren Bacall as well. I mean, he worked with yeah. a lot of guys. I mean, he worked with John Wayne. He worked with Kirk Douglas. He worked with... Um, Rich, uh, Robert Mitchum, like I said, Bogey, um, Edward G. Robinson. I mean, he worked with a lot of greats in the 30s and the 40s. That was kind of his 
I guess that was really when he came up and those were all the big names at the time. I, and he put he put a lot of those big names on the map too. Look at Rita, Rita Hayworth as the prime example for the movie we have today. Yes, it I have a lot to say about started that. Started her career. Yeah, I have a, I have a lot to say career. about that. Do you? Yeah. Um, Do you want my, to now? In my notes. No, um, before we get to that, we'll, uh, yeah, directed by Howard Hawks. He also produced it. It's Columbia Pictures, but um, it's starring Cary Grant, which we covered um, Charade. So everyone's kind of familiar with him who's listening to this podcast. But I mean, it's Cary Grant. Everyone knew him before, too. Um, starring, also starring Gene Arthur, um, Richard Barthelmiss, who I never knew who that guy was until this movie, but apparently he's a big silent picture star. Uh, pretty famous. Um, yes. As you said, Rita Hayworth is in it. Thomas Mitchell, who's in a lot of Hawks movies. He's in a lot of uh, Ford movies. He's a lot of those movies in the thirties and forties. He has, he has a heck of a film slate for 1939. Oh, also yeah. stagecoach. He was, I think he was in five of the top grossing films for the year was i don't know if it is or not was it's a wonderful life released this year no 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 it's a wonderful life was middle of the 40s but thomas mitchell won his oscar was it for stagecoach i mean i don't know i believe it was stagecoach but stagecoach came out this year gone with the wind came out this year wizard of oz came out this year so it was a big film year and our boy mitchell was in a handful of these films he was in five or six he was Definitely the huge character actor in a lot of just a lot of stuff. I mean, always, always showing up in those forties movies. I mean, I feel like him and like Victor McLaughlin and just there's a bunch of just character actors you you see. Walter, Walter Brennan, Brennan. E- e- um, Edgar Buchanan, which we brought up. I just watched the movie with him today. Actually, Lust for Gold. He's always in the he's in the westerns. He's like almost every western. Like Jack Elam is just like a cranky old drunk person or a a corrupt sheriff or something. It's just like these guys just unfortunately probably for them. Cause they probably wanted to be leading men, but a lot, I mean, I think a lot of guys want to be leading men, but maybe they lean into the supporting cast roles, but they just, they get kind of typecasted. And I feel like Thomas Mitchell, his characters here is pretty similar to a lot of the other stuff that we've seen. I mean, not identical, but similar in a I mean. similar vein for yes. Yeah, because he's of- pretty, he's a pretty gruff guy. Just, the way he's like, he's always kind of like a little bit nice, but then he always has that rough side too in his characters or, yes. or they're really, or they're really sad characters for some reason. Like it's a wonderful life. Stuff sad, like that. down on their luck, drunk, actually kind of funny that he was the, he was the, his nice or quirky side. And it's a wonderful life had an aspect with a bird. And then his character here also has an aspect with a bird. So interesting connection and one that I, I won't go into deeper detail with right now. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's true. Yeah. Just, so an, yeah, just I, an observation. I think, I, I think, I think those were the biggest names. I mean, there's a, a few other character actor like Alan Joslin. Have you heard of that guy before? Yes. I think it's, pro- it's probably my first movie with him. I'm guessing unless he was a very, very small role in something else that I've seen, but, uh, yeah, some of these other names are just not ringing any bells. I mean, the 30s are one kinda... of these guys. One of these guys I absolutely recognized. And it might have been Jocelyn. I didn't get to look up, take a close look at his picture. I think it was Jocelyn who I recognized. Yeah, I mean, he. 
I have a note about him, but I'll, I'll, I'll save it for a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's a, yes, it it's was a pretty, it's a pretty well-known film when it comes to Hawks fans. I mean, it's from what I've seen, it's, it's one of his most popular, you know, letterbox, excuse me, isn't the best, you know, it, it's not the end all be all for popularity with films. Cause the internet's just not the best place. Cause not everyone who watches movies is checking their stuff in and showing to, you know, telling people what they're watching. But I mean, for our generation, I, f- I feel like it's pretty indicative to how popular it is to well, at least cinephiles or just movie fans. So I think it's pretty popular. 25,000 check-ins is a lot. It's, it's a not, yeah, I guess it's all relative depending on what well, you're for looking the, at. For, for a 30s a, movie, it's a lot. For a 30s movie, it probably is on the higher end. I, I'm sure, I'm sure Gone with the Wind and uh, Wizard of Oz are probably astronomically high because they're so popular. But 25,000 seems like a very solid I mean, yeah, number. just for, for reference, uh, they both have over... Wizard of Oz is almost six hundred thousand, and Gone with the, Gone with the mm-hmm. Wind is mm-hmm. two hundred. I mean, these again, letterbox numbers aren't everything, but there's just a little barometer for you. But this movie, yeah. nineteen thirty nine. Uh, now that we're looking at it, nineteen thirty nine. I'm looking at right now, and this is this movie. Only Angels Have Wings is the sixth most most popular movie, and those are the top two. So. You go, you, it drops off real quick to what people have seen in the 30s, or at least a big cliff. Yeah, I mean, at least for 39. I'm assuming as you get older and older, it keeps going down and down. It's just the way it's just the way it works. People are people have very bad memories when it comes to movies, what's what's been released and whatnot. Well, speaking of bad memories, I this was my pick, right? And while watching this movie, I totally blanked on the fact on the reason why I picked this film, which was because it was a thirties film. And while I was watching it, I kept thinking in my head, when, when was this made? Because the special effects department was blowing my mind. Yes. Every of all the scenes with the airplanes, I was like, how is this? This has got to be late, late forties at a, at a minimum. And no, I mean, it's definitely groundbreaking stuff. Uh, I would say it's, it's probably better than a lot of stuff in the seventies and eighties. I don't I mean, think you're wrong. I think I would, I think this rivals some of the cockpit stuff in like, for example, Top Gun or, uh, what's that other one that the, the rip off of Top Gun, the something Eagle. Oh, I forget. I'm not going to be able to help you there. Uh, Come on, man! It's it's a it's a movie. Uh, I'm I'm gonna look it up just because it's gonna bother me. But it's the movie with there's a Queen soundtrack, I think, for it. Something Eagle. Oh my god! Awful that I have to look is this it, up. Is it the? I thought it was a skiing movie. Is that Ian Eagle or something? Iron movie? Eagle. Oh, Iron Eagle. Is that what you're talking about? Iron Eagle. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's like three or four sequels for that. But okay. regardless, like. This movie is definitely better than Iron Eagle. Uh, special effects, special effects wise, the the plot, everything, and that movie's just corny. But uh, it the was special, I mean, 80s. The special effects. I I want to say that there is something. This could be completely my own personal reaction, and maybe no one else shares this with me. I I really find 
there's a charming aspect and in past reviews i've i've remarked this maybe not exactly with miniatures but there's a exotic quality to using practical effects and miniatures um production artifice in other words i think there's something very intriguing about using all of those methods and completing them in a in a proper manner and hawks does that here i think he does it incredibly well the suspense is built excellently you're not taken away from the fact that you're watching these planes take off and that these men's lives are at stake so the the production value is just excellent all around and i when i say i was impressed i think that is an understatement it's rivaling i mean it's 1930s and i i don't have the uh i don't have the the chronological timeline of like thomas the tank engine stuff but i'm pretty sure that's like 80s 90s early early 80s late 80s 90s for sure but it's like better than that and thomas the tank engine is basically all the practical effects with the you know that's just one example but star wars also came out in like 77 and I think this is is kind of rivaling it in some place. And not every. I mean, some of it is really obvious. It's a model, but it's for the time. It's it's definitely groundbreaking. I would say that's part of my point, though. When you say that it's obvious that it looks like a set, and when I say that it has this sort of exotic quality to it, at the same time, it it doesn't take me out of the film. I feel no. like I feel like everything sort of belongs in a really fantastical way. And maybe I'm not using the right words to describe that what I'm experiencing, but there's something to it and I think that can't go unsaid. I mean, I wouldn't go as far as saying mystical, but it's it's just like not an out of body experience either, but it's something similar, but you know, not as to that degree, but I know what you mean and I think I kind of got that too. I, mean, I was it's, really engro- I was engrossed by this movie. Absolutely engrossed and it it is uh, one of the answers to why we have cinema, right? It's it's taking these really high tension, breathtaking moments and making them work one sequence after another. And another aspect that we'll probably go into depth a little bit later on is how Hawks is also able to meld and fuse all of these moving parts around as far as different genres. I mean, this film is, I don't know what it's categorized as if it's a romance first or an adventure film first, or if it's just a drama. Well, so I would say, and it's in my notes that you, you asked about it. That vibe is what my note says. And uh, it's a hangout movie. The classic Hawks staple. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, Rio Bravo hangout movie. We just covered, uh, we just reviewed Donovan's Reef. It's a hangout movie in that same vein. Like you go to this exotic place and you're engrossed by, the audience is engrossed by the experience and it's, it's almost like it's a fantasy, right? That's well said. And on that same note, this very, 
South American Ecuadorian locale, this fantastical place, if you want to call it that, it reminds one of Casablanca. And I've seen others in our group of friends, or maybe you're not friends with them, I don't know. Many others who have reviewed this film have made connections to Casablanca in how it imitates, or really it came before but Casablanca, but it it has that same use of the setting that intrigues us and pulls us in, and how the setting affects the characters, because we're introduced to Gene Arthur's character as a woman who's traveling from on on boat to boat so it introduces us to these characters and it sh- and it shows how the setting affects them because obviously Cary Grant's character is running he's running in an airstrip which is another thing and all of these things are coming together so it's it's interesting how the Casablanca connection I think is also important though because it ties to how only angels have wings has a romantic or a romanticism about it. And that doesn't really come full swing until the end. So it's another thing to keep in mind when you're, when you're watching the film and, and making these connections along the way. Wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah, definitely. Before we get to the plot, I do want to mention just to get it off the agenda, the music or lack thereof. Uh, so the composer or the, you know, the music credit is given to Dmitry Tiamkin and he was the same composer for Rio Bravo. Red River. So both Hawks films. I think he did a few other Hawks films as well. Um, actually, he also did the music, which I haven't seen these, but I know, Chris, you have, and you're a big fan, Shadow of a Doubt, Stranger on a Train. Yes. Strangers on a Train. Uh, Hitchcock stuff. He's done, looking at, if you just look at his uh, filmography, a lot of noir, a lot of westerns, a lot of dramas. Movies that you would know. I I think I, I've seen like 20 movies that he did scores for. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, Guns of Navarone. I really like that movie. He did the, mu- the music for that as well, which is in the 60s. So the guy had obviously a, a very prolific career to be a- around for 30, 40 plus years. That's Something impressive. like a John Williams level of prolificness but yeah i just wanted to bring him up because he has the credit here but you only get the music in the first the first intro scene and then the outro scene there's no music throughout the entire thing that's a score a backing track it's all uh i know you you want to talk about it so i'll let you reveal yes yes so the music is all live it's little corners uh, little dive bars where we hear music when we when we first come and are introduced to gene arthur's character she's getting off the boat and she just immediately gets attracted to a spanish band playing some music and 
this is how well we why get- does she why does she get it well i think once you read the little plot summary that I, we have yes it'll yeah. it reveals why she's attracted to the music okay so i'll just i'll read the plot now and we can we can start digging into this yes sir all right so as per the criterion blu-ray cover Electrified by the verbal wit and visual craftsmanship of the great Howard Hawks, Only Angels Have Wings stars Jean Arthur as a traveling entertainer who gets more than she bargained for during a stopover in a South American port town. There, she meets a handsome yet aloof daredevil pilot, played by Cary Grant, who runs an airmail company, staring down death while servicing towns in treacherous mountain terrain. Both attracted to and repelled by his romantic sense of danger, she decides to stay on despite his protestations. This masterful and mysterious adventure featuring Oscar-nominated special effects, high-wire aerial photography, and Rita Hayworth in a small but breakout role explores Hawk's recurring themes of masculine codes and the strong-willed women who question them. The lot packed in there, Could, huh? Couldn't have read it better myself. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Actually, I would have been like... Blah, blah, blah. Actually, if, uh, <laughs> if anyone could do a Cary Grant accent, that would have been better. Uh, I don't, Kevin's not here today, obviously, unfortunately, he's actually flying, he's flying, so, (laughs) he's He's uh, living, he's living the movie, he's living Um, the life, yeah, uh, but yeah, I don't think he could do it either, so I don't think either, you know, all three of us could do it, uh, it's a, it's, that mid-Atlantic accent is ridiculous, it's quite something, very very posh, oh, yes, 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 Hmm. (laughs) you remind me of a man, Sorry, I'm I'm making a deep making a deep cut here. You remind me of a man. Of who? What man? Is what you're supposed to say. You remind me of a man. What man? Man with the power. The power of voodoo. Voodoo? You do. Remind, voodoo, remind voodoo. me what? Remind me of man. So it goes in a circle in a circle. Anyway, deep cut. That was uh another Cary Grant movie. If you're a listener and know what movie that is, high props to you. Yeah, don't tell them. So don't, don't let them know. Let them, I'm not. All right, now you gotta now you gotta watch 50 movies to figure it out. Have fun. <laughs> Go sift through Cary Grant's filmography. Deep cut. But so, but yes, very good plot summary. I mean, that kind of gives the overall picture. I forget what the town's called, but it doesn't matter. Um, you said Baranka. Calling Baranka. Calling Baranka. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. See, my memory for names is with all the stuff I'm watching in different languages is very piss poor. So I apologize. But yes, Barranca. Uh, so South America, there is a Cary Grant's character owns or I guess partially owns or I guess he run manages it. A um, a basically a plane company that they take different either mail or other supplies places and they get paid for it. I guess they're just the runners kind of. And the bar owner is the owner, right? He's, he owns the bar and he owns the plane company, right? Transportation Correct. company. Yeah. Dutchy. Dutchy. So as we were saying before, the perfectly read plot summary by Christopher, we, uh, thank you. Gene Arthur gets off the boat in this, in Barranca in this South American port town. And she immediately is, well, one, she's getting file, followed by two guys, which seems pretty creepy in the beginning. That You think that they're, they're going to do something bad, but... Little do we know. Yeah. The way they use music in this movie is 
perfect because with with a, a backing track with all the drama, it would have just been a little too much. And they just they they let all the actual noises, the sound effects, be the quote unquote music. So there's a word for yeah. that in film school. Well, I didn't go there. I know uh, Mr. Kevin did actually, so he could have told us. I did not go to film school either, but I can tell you that it's called diegetic sound. So it's the visible uh, source is visible on screen for the sound and or whose source is implied to be present by the action of the film. So anything that's going on in the environment that we see happening. So that's exactly what's occurring. So we hear all of the noise coming from these little hole in the wall dive bars, the live Mexican music or not Mexican music, but the live Spanish music. South American music. Latina. Latino. 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 Hispanic. Hearing the noise of the the boat. The boat pull into the harbor. You're hearing every the little bustling street in bodega in the South American port. And then at Dutchie's bar, you're hearing the little banter occur from the people at the bar. And then there's even some more music that plays at Dutchie's. Chris. You just explain it. Yes. You explain it so perfectly, sir. Wow, thank you. Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah. What is that word again? So, Say it again for the listeners and for me. Diegetic sound. Very good. Or diegetic. You come to the searcher's so, podcast to learn things, people. Hopefully not pronunciations. <laughs> no, we can we can do it. It just takes us like five tries. It's fine. <laughs> but you know what? That speaks to the theme of the movie, which is redemption and always pursuing and working hard at your job, being intentful. We'll get into that a little bit yeah. later. No, I um. Where do you want to take this? Where, what's the next path forward? Because I kind of have some stuff that I just, I think you have some more deep insight into the movie. I kind of have some surface level stuff. Uh, I had the casting choice about, you know, the Rita Hayworth thing. I have a lot on that. Um, and, and what it has to do with Carrie's character. But do you want to like kind of go through some other Yes. Character dynamics first. Yes. There's so off of this intro where we're introduced to Baranca, the the Baranca port. We're seeing the first 30 minutes of the movie. We are seeing everything through Bonnie's eyes. Bonnie is played by Gene Arthur. And there's an interesting. There's an interesting shift of dynamics, which a lot of people have realized. Anybody who loves this film calls it shifting dynamics and that Howard Hawks brilliantly breaks this down because we're thrown into an exotic locale as an American fish out of water, really. And we find out about this airmail company and Bonnie meets one of these two young gentlemen who is infatuated with her, wants to take her out to dinner. And so begins to do that at Dutchie's and they realize we realize that this gentleman is one of the air mail pilots that works under Carrie Grant and Grant in the middle of this gentleman taking uh, Bonnie out to dinner. Grant tells him that he has to go make a sudden air mail drop in treacherous weather. It happens to be incredibly foggy. out. And during this whole intro scene, we're thrown right into a plane taking off and tensions are rising slowly but surely. 
because this young gentleman named Joe ends up getting through. He ends up having trouble with the plane because he's caught in the fog. So the dynamics all of a sudden change from your sort of pleasant or fantastical exotic locale to something where death is very eminent. And the tension rises, and then Joe dies, is what happens. So we're, we're, we sort of think that we're going to be in for a romantic comedy of sorts, especially when Cary Grant for screen. But Grant is also gruff. He's gruff, and he's a little bit more masculine than we're familiar with in the kind of characters that he plays. So maybe we're sort we're, maybe we're sort of thrown for a loop there, but the shifting dynamics is how we think we're going to be in for this rom-com of sorts. And then all of a sudden when Joe dies and Bonnie has this moment where she goes, "Who's Joe?" It's an incredible moment. She's in disbelief, she's distraught, she can't handle it. And the big point of this whole first 30 minutes is meeting these characters, how we're seeing everything like Bonnie, and also how we can see the very obvious differences between how these men who love their jobs and will do their job at any cost like Bonnie. Anything you want to add to that, Ben? No, I, I think that's really succinctly put. Um that scene is really kind of a good introduction to the airmail company and all the dynamics between the, you know, Cary Grant's manager character. Well, he's a pilot too, but he manages all the jobs between Dutchie, the bartender slash owner of the, both the bar and the company and how he treats everybody. And then all the pilots on how they are, they're trying to, you know, they just lost a friend and they're just acting like it didn't even happen. I, I I really I think this is a good time to mention it. This really the whole movie does. There's a lot of aspects in the whole movie that does that does this, but this part right here really reminds me of Top Gun one and two, um, both movies actually. Like the camaraderie of the pilots, how they how they act when someone dies. Like they try to hide their emotions. Oh, it didn't happen. Not even think about it. Just move on. Cause that's what, you know, in, in wartime, that's what you got to kind of do. Um, Different mentality. The rivalries with them trying to get the steak dinner with her. Uh, they're all fighting over it. And then, you know, hot shot, Mr. Cary Grant comes in and just says, Oh, I'm going to do it. And after Joe dies, he does it. Any, you know, he still does it because he's, they're all just coping with this the best way they can. I mean, the relationships with the, the guys with women, it's just like, I mean, to me, it's like, just like Top Gun. Of both movies. I mean, Top Gun 1 and 2 are very different and very similar at the same time, but I think it incorporates good themes from both. Yeah, themes of brotherhood, themes of themes of masculinity that are observed in I don't even want to say that it's um it's definitely not negative and it's not necessarily positive. It's just the way it's how it's how these characters handle themselves in these situations because they have jobs that need to get done. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Someone's going to do it. Someone's going to do it. it someone's got to do it. And, and no one else is up for the job. It's these, it's these men who are up for the task. Yeah. So, I mean, they all have nicknames, just like call signs. Mm -hmm. So the actor, John Carroll, 
who plays Gent, and Alan Joslin, um, who plays Les Peters. I think they they even both look like Top Gun characters, um, both Rooster and Hangman, respectively. So from the Top Gun two, you know the mustache, the small little mustaches, the just the way they look. I mean, they almost look just like them. There's at you know there are scenes where I'm like that guy looks just like Hangman. I forget the uh, actor's name, but no, I really think that this could have been maybe inspiration to Tony Scott for Top Gun one, maybe. I wouldn't be surprised if they, he definitely yeah he definitely saw this movie before Top Gun one. I mean this was probably a classic that was shown on TV a lot in the sixties and seventies. I would assume because Hawks is such a big name, so I I, I kind of want to make that leap and say only angels have wings did inspire Top Gun and the you know this the entire pop culture sensation around that. That's a, that's a cool observation. I haven't seen the second movie and it's been a long time since i've seen the first uh, yeah i think this I can movie kind of takes takes like the dynamic with gene arthur's character bonnie and Cary grant is very reminiscent of tom cruise's and oh my god i'm gonna forget her name the actress in the top gun too it'll come to me after i stop talking about it regardless uh she yeah that's not Liv Tyler, the woman who looks like Liv Tyler, but who's not the one who's who was in a uh, Requiem for a Dream, Jennifer Connelly. Yes, she's very aged very well. <laughs> um, but yeah, so their relationship in that movie is very reminiscent of Gene Arthur and Cary Grant's. You know how he. Well, I'm not going to get into the whole thing, but basically, it, it's very similar. And then in the first movie. Cary Grant's relationship with Rita Hayworth's character, Judy, is very similar kind of to the back and forth between Tom Cruise and, uh, again, I'm going to forget her damn name. I shouldn't, but just I'm under pressure recording a podcast episode, so just lose all my freaking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you know her name. She was in Witness. Oh, Kelly McGinnis? Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. You're perfect. Um, uh, McGillis. But- Not McGinnis. McGillis. Kevin yeah, McGillis, same, right? same difference. <laughs> I'm going off the top of my head. I'm not looking anything up. So, look at that. He's even better than I thought. But yeah, the, the camaraderie is really a big one, and just how you know, once a kid played by Thomas Mitchell, once the other character who you know comes into the fold halfway through the movie, married to, well, so I don't know if they were married. But were they married? It was yes, Ju- they were. Uh, was so They're Judy married. and. And Judy and well, no, they're those two characters are married. And oh, you're talking about Judy and uh, Jeff and Carter and Jeff Carter. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they were married or not. They were either going to get married or they were married. But then another character comes in named Bat McPherson, which is a fake name. I forget the guy's name. He's covering up, but kill something. Kill Gallon again. Kill Gallon. There you go. The relationship between him and Kid is very special and. Uh, even reminiscent of Top Gun because there's a rivalry there because, and there's a history there because he bat Matt McPherson um, killed. I don't know. They don't give you too much background, but he, he caused the death or it's implied that he caused the death of kid's brother in a, you know, he jumped out of, he parachuted out of a plane and let it go down. And kid kid's brother was the mechanic and died. And kid is the mechanic for, you know, he, he has that same relationship with, 
um, Jeff. And that's kind of, you know, imagine letting your brother, like a brother in, in arms or work die in a plane. That's kind of the exact same thing that happened. I mean, again, another very, just, it seems like a top gunny type of relationship between the two characters. And, there's some redemption there, which is honestly the best, in my opinion, the best part of the movie, that, that relationship and how it gets redeemed. I really, really enjoyed that character growth. Excellently said. It's the two, this movie has two large subplots that intermingle with each other. And one is that kid McPherson subplot with, that's all about redemption. And then you have the second subplot, which is the romance of the film, looking at, at, Jeff Carter and Bonnie and Judy as a, as a whole other angle to everything. And those are the, those are what those are the two big themes. I think it's about redemption. It's about love, but there's also what many reviewers have taken note of about the pragmatic aspect, the pragmatic mentality of doing the job and being so in being so into the world that they're in they don't know what any other life is like this is this is their life this is what they do and let's see if there's anything else i want to say about that it's it's interestingly observed because between these two subplots between the gene arthur cary grant subplot and the and the kid and McPherson subplot because when Bonnie is thrown into this world, she's observing everything as we are, and she even comes right out and says it to Kid. She she says to him, "How do I love him like you do?" Meaning him as in Cary Grant's character, and I think that's a big moment. It's a big line. She's trying to learn, quote unquote, learn what these guys are all about how they do things, how they treat their emotions. That relationship is interesting. And then there's the, the relationship. I do think the relationship of Rita Hayworth's character with Cary Grant and um, the actor's name, Richard Barthelmas. Yeah. So I, I think that relationship there is very necessary for the film to work, but I just don't think she was the right actress to play that part she she brought no i mean she was just wooden as a board i mean i mean just stiff as a board not the emotions were just felt put on and really fake like it didn't feel like acting it felt like you're not really upset when she's supposed to be upset you're you know i think Uh, so it felt to you she was just reading lines yeah and this wasn't her first movie this was just like this is the movie she got cast in after doing a bunch of bit parts extra work small roles. This was her biggest role at the time that basically catapulted her career. I think there, I think Hawks is on record as saying she was there just to be a parrot. I mean, not a parrot. Uh, what good looking face, right? She, yeah. that's why she's, that's why she's there. I mean, she's a very attractive lady. She's iconic. She was iconic for 20 years. I mean, she was in so many movies as just, you know, everyone knew Rita Hayworth. There's that, Shawshank Redemption, mm-hmm. where he has um, the main character. Uh, I should know all the, na- the names are eluding me tonight. I apologize, but the main character has all the all the women posters, like 
Marilyn Monroe, Rita Hayworth, Andy Dufresne. Rachel, yeah, Andy Dufresne, Ray, Raquel uh, Welch. He has all their, you know, as the decades go on, he and he's in prison. He keeps putting the new poster up, and she was one of the posters. That's how iconic this lady is. So I get it. And you know, maybe, maybe the uh, public, the movie going public, is really lucky that she was cast in this movie and then was in a bunch of other movies. I'm not really. This might be my first movie seeing with her in it. I, unless she was an extra in another movie that I've seen, but I don't remember seeing any of like the big movies like Gilda. Don't, you know, never seen that. I don't know any really anymore off the top of my head. So, yeah, I think she was totally wrong for the part. I, I honestly think Jean Arthur wasn't really right for her part either. She doesn't feel to me like a Hawksian woman. She doesn't have the attitude. She she's she's a different type of actress. In, like in a, in in a lot of the other roles she was in. And I don't think she did a, she didn't do a bad job, but I think, I think Rita Hayworth did a bad job in her role. I don't, I didn't, when she was on screen, all I saw was the pretty face. I didn't get any emotions. I I just thought the, the presence wasn't there that needed to be. But that right there is like my one qualm with the movie. I like everything else. It's an astute observation about Gene Arthur's, temperament i think i didn't notice it when i was watching but when you say that she wasn't a hawksian woman is accurate because she did not get along with howard hawks no no she didn't and she admitted that and And it was years later when hawks was in an interview with i believe peter bogdanovich in 1972 maybe it was earlier than this but you believe that (laughs) or did you look that up sir (laughs) What do you mean? Believe? Oh, uh, uh, oddly I'm, specific time. I, I believe. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the big interview he did. In the yeah, 70s. yeah, yeah. I'm not looking at anything in front of me right now, and he is on record saying that at the time when this movie was made, when he was filming Gene Arthur, he didn't think she was right for the role, but he was stuck with her. And then after the fact, some years later, he finally admitted he was like, "Yeah, actually, Gene Arthur did a really great job," and I. I don't know if he said he was a jerk or it just was the way that things came together. But. I think, yeah, I think he said he ultimately liked her role. You know, the way she, I think they, he probably had a bad memory of just the production. Cause they, I think they, she, you know, Hawks is a big name, even in 39. I mean, he got bigger in the forties, but he was still big at the time. And just like John Ford, I, I believe they're very similar. The directors, you don't argue with those two. <laughs> you 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 do what they say. These guys are legends in the movie industry at the time, and they got even bigger. Um, and she was arguing with him, so they probably both just had bad memories of it, right? Yeah, just, I think oh, that's... It, it, it was a bad time. I was mad a lot of the time, like whatever. So I don't think she did a terrible job, Gene Ar- Arthur. I just don't think she was the right casting. I think Rita Hayworth was also a bad casting, but I think she also did a a terrible job. I mean, why would Cary Grant, his character, Jeff Carter, this guy, how confident that guy is, why the hell would he fall for Rita Hayworth besides her looks? Her, her personality was terrible. I mean, she's childish, um, exploitive. I mean, he falls in love with, uh, Bonnie, mm-hmm. Jean Arthur. Yep. Like take those two ladies and they're completely different temperaments it doesn't make sense to me that though that's the one thing in the movie that just doesn't make sense to me like why would he they broke up and now she's just magically back and he's like oh i'm falling head over heels again 
like no like gene arthur is clearly the the better pick more she likes you and and she also likes you <laughs> and, and she also likes you dude like this other girl literally says like i i'm done with you um, right so, it's recipro- it's reciprocated feelings yeah and then the whole thing with the the coin and you know the end like the last scene uh, i'll let you get to that if you have some more comments but the whole thing with like her saying like i just want you to ask me I'll say yes, just ask me, like, whatever. I'm hard to get, but just ask me. Like, again, I don't see Jean Arthur in that role, but she did it really well, and that relationship is actually, like, it's a motive between the two. I just think Carrie and Rita Hayworth, just it's it's another one of those mismatches, but not because of the age that he uh, liked to claim throughout his career when they put him up with someone 20 years younger than him. That wasn't the problem, it's just... I don't think the characters logically make sense in the plot. Um, like That's interesting. Those two I, I did not take that away. I thought Rita Hayworth was, was serviceable or even more than that. Maybe the critique is that she, because Cary Grant implies that she was a very smart woman, right? Or maybe, maybe not even that she was smart, but that she, she matched him in, his emotions, I guess, in some way. And that's not really, maybe that's what's not really taken from her short amount of screen time. Yeah. I mean, she's not on the screen that long. No, it's very short. So less than, less than, I want to say less than 15 minutes. It's not that much. No. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. She's, she's really only there for a short time and I think she's serviceable. I, I don't, I don't think she was, I don't think she was bad. And maybe if you wanted to make a critique, you could say that it, she maybe didn't live up to what Cary Grant had described to what De- uh, Carter had described to Bonnie when they first met because she she sort of figured him out right away. Maybe. But my theory. like I didn't just say this to complain because I know people think that's what I do a lot. I don't think that. Oh, thank you, Chris. Love you, baby. <laughs> um, all that I said. Now, my theory to feed into that is maybe Hawks writ- wrote that in there. Rita Hayworth's character is the anti-Hawksian woman, right? Oh, interesting. Not, not sure of herself. Not really too confident, but just again, I, all the all the characteristics just aren't there. And the back and forth between the two feels like there's no chemistry because there's not supposed to be chemistry. Maybe that's what it is. Why would Papa even be interested in this lady? I, I, I mean, that's what I'm asking when I'm watching this movie. Why the hell would this guy even want her? He can have anybody he wants. And he's going to go back to one the one woman that left him? Doesn't make sense. Well, it's a combination of he could have any woman he wants, but he also doesn't want anybody until Bonnie comes along. And that takes a little while for that to get going. He's True. I think I think the main point of the movie when you don't when you're not directly looking at the romance that's blooming, let's not forget Bonnie disappears, quote unquote disappears for like a beginning or for somewhere in the middle for like 20, 25 minutes. I mean, she might pop up here and there, but the love story takes a back seat to the kid in Bat McPherson subplot when he shows up and then there's this redemption arc that's building. There's yeah, I mean, I think I love that 
the redemption arc, I think, is the best part of the movie, and that's why you're here. That's why your seat. That's why your ass is in the seat. That I is like is so good. I 100 percent agree. And what makes what makes McPherson? It, this is sort of a meta commentary, but what makes Richard Barthelmus such an awesome pick, uh, an awesome casting choice, is because he was a silent film actor he did not transition well into the talkies. He had done somewhere around eight to 10 ish credits into the talkies and previous to only have only angels have wings. He was, he had not done anything for three or four years. So he was by considered by most people to have been done with acting. So there's a really cool aspect to having a silent acting star have a redemptive arc because I think at the time people loved him in this role and it's his character. That's got to prove everything. And he, I think he proved, he proved people also with his own, with his own acting skill in this movie saying that he didn't really do much after this. He, I think he did another four movies after only angels have wings. And then he was, but it's, it's a really cool commentary to see, someone who had actually faded in real life have another chance doing something that he loved to do. Hmm. That's a, that's an interesting point. I mean, I didn't know much about him. I, I looked him up because I was like, who the hell is this guy in third billing? Um, but what actually, know, read- what actually caught me was, I don't believe I've seen him in anything, but what intrigued me about him was his eyes. So I could totally, I could totally see how this guy was a silent film. Oh, I mean, it's all facial reactions. Yeah. I, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, it was almost like his role or his performance rather was subtle, but it wasn't at the same time because obviously he's the center of this great drama between himself and what he did and kid. So he can't yes. really be subtle. He's got to be thrown into the shit of it. Literally. I mean, yes. <laughs> every, every single one of his, he's a, he's a pilot too, obviously. And he's took Carter, Cary Grant's character. He took his girl and now he's back and no one likes him. Cary, Cary Grant doesn't like him because of the, you know, the Rita Hayworth thing and everyone else and everyone else hates him because he killed kid's brother. But Cary Grant knows this guy's a good pilot and I need him. Uh, Otherwise the entire point of this whole company is they have a secret, they have a secret little deal that no one, none of the pilots know about, but they need to do a certain amount of runs with the mail to basically secure a, contract that's going to just oh we're flush with money now and now we don't have to worry about anything we're not living paycheck to paycheck basically um and that's dutchy and 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 jeff's little secret and it kind of gets exposed towards the end but that's why so carrie's like i'm just going to use this guy Uh, i don't really like him that much but he's a great pilot and he does all these special things so i'm going to use him you know, no one likes him, but if he dies, oh well. And and so, um, Richard Bar- Bartholmus, his character Bat, is kind of persona non grata, but he yeah. is get he's given the chance and he takes it because he has no other choice. So he's like, yeah, I'm gonna go, you know, face death every day. It is what it is. It's what he lives for. Yeah, and, and then by the end, uh, I guess since you had something to say about it earlier, Chris, I'll let you go into the little end bit with that. Um, part of the plot. 
You're talking about with McPherson or with uh, the love yeah, with, story? With Mc, no, with McPherson and Kid. Yeah, so really all I was just driving at and what you had already hinted on was the redemptive, was the redemption. It's the redemption of Nick Fearson's character. He ends up the last airplane ride that they have to make before they get the deal. He and Kid are going to take one last airmail drop over the pass. Of course, weather ends up being really bad and things don't go as planned. Um, but McPherson brings them back and they're, they're both beaten up pretty bad, but it's an, it's an excellent, it's an excellent sequence. The suspense is built wonderfully and the way that everything comes together when, when Cary Grant is looking for a pilot to do this last drop, Cary Grant ends up getting hurt. Actually, Carter ends up getting shot in the shoulder by Bonnie off of, um, the fact that she's supposed to leave. She doesn't want to leave. She doesn't want him to go on the plane again. She accidentally throws the gun, the gun shoots him in the shoulder. Um, so now he can't fly the plane. Him and kid were supposed to make the final airdrop. And while everyone's tending to his wound, McPherson pops up through the door. And I, I really liked this moment. It was, it was a quick moment, but he, he just appears in the doorway and he has these he has this look in his eyes and he he's he's wet from the rain out storming and everyone all of a sudden looks to him because he's at this point in the movie he's the only other option left to to fly the plane yeah and and kids so well yeah the one thing you're forgetting is kid is an older you know Thomas Mitchell, Mitchell's older than everybody but correct he's still he's still a decent pilot but Carrie and everyone else kind of knows his eyesight is going bad. And once your eyesight goes bad, you're done. You're grounded because you'll, you'll kill somebody. So he's saying, oh, I'm going to don't worry. I'm going to fly by myself. I'm going to fly by myself. And of course, he doesn't want to fly with Bat because Bat killed his brother. He's like, fuck that. I'm done. I'm done with that. I'm not, I don't need, that's not even an option. And, right. you know, obviously. Everyone looks like you said, everyone looks at McPherson and says, they don't even say anything verbally. They 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 no. they say they say what they're thinking by their eyes, and I like that in a in a scene because you it's really you feel it. Right, everyone's reading the room. It's it's very palpable. Everybody knows what's going on. The dynamics are all coming together. The relationships. Everyone understands what's going on at this point. It's it's down to this one man who's had a troubled past, and everyone as a viewer, you know, it's the moment that he's going to get his well, not get his redemption, but something's going to happen and it's poetic because of who he killed in his past and the fact that he is now taking that same man's older brother on a final flight that the whole company is depending on it's really like you said poetic stuff and i guess we'll spoil it now at this point in the episode i'd hope you either go and watch the movie before we talked about the plot but regardless they they take they go on the flight, and one thing leads to another. The, the weather's bad. They they're trying to fly over a storm. They get with a new, a new. I think they have a new plane, and it's like a, not a prototype, but basically they're kind of not extremely um, familiar. Experience. Yeah, Ex- yeah, they're not they're not experienced with it, but it's a good plane. But it swoops down. It's a tri motor. Yeah, it swoops down. 
into the storm and now they can't get back out of the storm. So now they got to fly through the pass, but it's foggy. And one thing leads to another after another, after another. And uh, as you said, the bird, the, they get hit by, they get hit by the bird. It, it goes, they, you know, goes through the windshield. Smashes through the windshield and knocks kid right in the face. Knocks him out. Basically knocks him out, actually, breaks his neck. So McPherson's flying blind and they're, you know, Another they're bird in contact. went to the engine. Yeah, they're they're Engine's in contact. Yeah, and and they're in contact with with Jeff, and Jeff's like, "Get the fuck back here! Like you're done. Like don't even try it. You're gonna freaking." This is before the engine gets hit, and then the engine gets hit. Then they land it, and there's the whole redemption arc with Kid and McPherson, and it's re- it's really a great scene. It's it's. I mean, I didn't cry or nothing, but it's it's just it's you you love to see it, right? You love to you see love it. To see- you want to yeah. see a redemption arc. You want to see people make up um, and get over their differences, even no matter how deep they are. It's always nice to see people make up in like really just convincing ways. And it was convincing to me. Well, the interesting thing I want to throw in here with the condors is I always like to find my little tidbits of symbolism in movies. And cause I'm a very literary guy when it comes to analysis and just some food for thought for the listeners. The condors in the film, at least from an American standpoint, condors um, have been, they've been known as a master of the spirit um, who have given power to humans for a variety of world. In other words, they have been always associated with death and mourning, but also associated with the renewal. And, and that adds an, another little tiny layer of um, poeticism to the whole thing, because the condor is what sort of triggers that descent back down. And it's that word that keeps popping up again, redemption, that it's all about for, for McPherson and a bird that symbolizes renewal in certain cultures. I think, I think that's pretty neat. I don't know if that was planned or whatnot, but it's, it adds a little bit to the movie. Yep, wouldn't have thought of that, but that's awesome. And and, and the best part is uh, they were doing a run earlier in the film and they were taking nitroglycerin up and the wet weather got bad. They were scared they were going to blow, you know, blow up the plane. So they're going back to base and they're dropping the the nitroglycerin yeah. all over the condors. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of cool so, seeing the explosions. Uh, yeah. It's kind of the condor get got on payback, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But uh so yeah, all that is why I think the movie should be watched. You can stop right there. But then after that, once that's all the dust settles from that, you get the the final resolution with the, the other romance. Subplot. Yeah, the yes. romance between the Jeff and Bonnie. Yes. And the two things I want to say about this is there's two important parts, I think. One is we have a scene with Bonnie and a character named Sparks, who's one of the one of the men who's been throughout the camaraderie. He's one of the side characters and Bonnie, all of a sudden in this end segment last, however many minutes she gets, we're, th- we're thrust back into her perspective again, I th- I think. And she has this conversation with this, with this side character and she's very unsure of herself about pursuing Carter because she thinks it's over. And her boat's coming back and she's going to leave on the boat. She's not going to stay. And Sparks 
has this really quiet conversation with her and he says it's a long box. Going by. Nobody asked me to stay. Imagine all the things that have been happening to me in the last few days, and I haven't got a picture to show for it. Aren't you going to say goodbye to him? I think you ought to. Do. I think he'd want you to. Sure. He might not act like it, but I think he would. I think you should. I'm doing it if you say so. I don't say so. You do. Uh, I like this conversation because it adds another point to where the movie starts off with how Bonnie's trying to understand how these men, how these men handle Sparks here is sort of opening up to opening up to her a little bit giving her a nod nod nudge nudge sort of thing um to to help her out and to and to also show that men may not be so direct with their emotions and that brings us into the scene where she confronts Carter Bonnie's trying to tell him I'm going to leave but I I I really love you like this is you know I want to stay I want to be with you etc cetera, etc cetera. I'm paraphrasing and he's like, nope, got to do my job. I got mail that has to go. And the scene comes to a close because it comes to a close when Carter takes the coin that has heads on both sides. And he says, well, Baranka. calling Baranka, calling Baranka. What's the matter down there? Calling Baranka. Go ahead, text. Hey, Jeff, storm's breaking up. Wind's dropping down to a whisper. Yeah. Wait a minute. Hey, Sparks! Sparks! Get in with you, Bunny. How's the pass, Tex? Clearing up faster than a cat can lick up cream. What do you yeah. want? Wind up number seven. Pass is clearing. Right. Start number seven. Well, how about it, Tex? Stand by. It won't be long now. Moon's breaking through. Here she comes. She's shining harder than $700. Let them come, Papa. We're coming. How about it? You and me? Why not? That's what I said in the first place. Let's get going. Hey, Charlie, get me my chance. What do you think of that, Dutchie? What is? Well, the pass is clearing. We just got time to make it. Well, how are you going to fly? I've got one good arm, haven't I? And I got another. Oh, I don't know well, if that's... Cheer up, Dutchie. A convey's goodness in the bag. Come on, chap. Come on, Bobby. Keep that coffee warm. Back in time for breakfast. I won't be here. I'm going on the boat. Yeah? Nobody asked me to stay. They haven't? No, and you wouldn't ask anybody to do anything, would you? That's right. Give a sip of coin for it. Tell us you go ahead, you stay. Head, what about it? I won't stay that way. You won't? I'm hard to get, Jeff. All you have to do is ask me. Here's a souvenir for you, Bunny. I like that saying goodbye. Come on, Bunny. 
sambutkan. Awesomely romantic because he implies he implies what he means and doesn't directly say what he means, which is exactly everything that we've been told about how these men go about their lives. And I think it's a really awesome romantic note to end the film on because it makes sense. Like it's not something that's out of it's 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 a little funny, it's really cute, it just it fits it fits everything. I don't know if you felt that way about about this moment, Ben. Oh, it was it was a great ending, and I, I this kind of ties back in to my comments about Top Gun is all that stuff happened. Kid and um, Bat McPherson are unsuccessful in their trip. They come back and they think all hope is lost, but then they realize, oh, the weather's clearing. There's a, there's a window. It, it's like an impossible mission. With that, just that nick of time, it always saves the you know the heroes, and I I just love that kind of story, and that's what happens here. And Hawks masterfully connects connects that plot point with the romance. It's like it's yes, he does. They don't they don't make these anymore, man. It's just really good. Yeah. Uh, and besides that, um, the last thing I'm going to say about Top Gun is. I forgot. I think I forgot to mention that this specifically is another big aspect. Is the bar just the having like quote unquote the hanger attached to the bar is just so it just reminds me so much, so much of Top Gun because they they spend a lot of time drinking in those in those two Top Gun movies and it just felt like you know whenever the pilots are in the bar, you know after a day's work. They're just, they just are trying to take it easy. I mean, it's just, it, it really reminds me. Like, I, I think Tony Scott or whoever wrote Top Gun definitely watched this movie in their life at one point. Um, Big influence. Uh, but other than that, I, I mean, I think it ended perfectly. And that's, you get these two hours in a mystical little South American t- uh, town where there's this company that flies planes places and they're doing jobs to just to scrape by. And you get to spend time with, 99% wonderful characters. That's that's kind of all you really want in a movie, right? You just want to be exactly. enter- entertained, but also there's a, there's a little depth to it, and that's what you get. And entertained, another... depth, there's there's awesome tension. Yeah, I mean and I mean the aerial photography in this. There's there's one sequence that's like I don't even know how they did this and it's 1939. Like I don't see these types of shots. Exactly. In 80s, 90s, 2000s movies. It's like, what the hell are we doing here, people? I mean, Top Gun 2, they, they take it to the extreme, but it's t- it's taken almost 100 years to get there. What the hell? What are I we would, doing here? I would almost be okay if we just went back to this method. <laughs> yes. Of, yes. Of doing things. I'm talking about the actual camera, sh- when they were shooting the camera in the plane, which they only did a couple times. But No, no. That no, one... I, Yes, I'm I'm on board with you on that, and I think using miniatures, I'm I am just on board with just doing everything that Hawks did here, um, because it 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 honestly it goes hand in hand like the film preaches pragmatism. It's almost like there's pragmat there's there's a they're called practical effects, like there's a there's a 
something here about these practical effects that I just I want to drive home. I think it's really effective and it works. It actually works with the theme work of this movie, which is kind of funny, um, but also awesome. Yeah, I mean, I I don't have anything else really to say, but it's it's a good movie. You should watch it. Um, I'm ready to rate if you are, Christopher. Well, the last thing I want to say is because Kevin couldn't be here. Um, I know that he, I, he loves this movie. I I don't know how, where this ranks for him, but our our boy Kevin has rated this five. I wanted to let our listeners. I want to read a, a few excerpts from Kevin's review that he wrote on Letterboxd, just so I can get a little bit of Kevin's voice here a little bit of perspective from Kevin. So I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Right from the get-go, the particular escapist atmosphere is one that leads the viewer into a full of intrigue, love, charm, relentlessness, heroic and badass masculinity, professionalism, heartbreak, humor, and wonder. It's fantastic. So how can you tie those different knots of aforementioned cinematic narrative qualities, including people taking daring and dangerous flight, and truce together. The evolution between pilots who are dedicated to not only their job, but their livelihood, and how that ties into complicated matters in absolution and maturation. Aside from that is another tale of a lost love between a woman, Judy, and head aviator Jeff that is quite complicated due to her new marriage aforementioned pilot, plus a new potential love interest in Gene Arthur's Bonnie for cool Carrie. Kevin says, gotta say that that dreamlike ambience of a plane taking off and finding its place in the sky, plus the whims of running on airline are well displayed. But damn it, the filmmaking is a doozy. What a delight. Yeah, so I, I mean, just, that's summarized in it. That's a nutshell. Right nutshell, there. everything of what we talked about, and Kevin says it really well, and I wanted to make sure. I, I just took excerpts from his review. His review is a little bit longer than that, if anyone cares to read it. So, yeah, what's your rating? I am going to rate this baby four and a half out of nine out of ten. Alrighty. A great I'm movie. Gonna rate... Yeah, I, I I like it. It's not my favorite Hawks movie. It's not my favorite Carrie movie. So I'm going to go with an eight. So it's pretty high. I mean, that's... And if we consider Kevin's rating in our summary, I mean, that's a nine out of ten. Uh, for the searchers rating so it's a movie you should watch um it's a classic that probably has i think it's been forgotten compared to other stuff in hawks's filmography so yes there's nothing really else more to say about it except for go watch that movie where can i watch this movie chris yeah so you guys uh criterion has a blu-ray really really sexy blu-ray with all handful of extras on it that is worth checking out and i think you can rent it on amazon prime and that's all i know of where it could be watched unless if you have another place ben well it's, um, on, DVD, it's on dvd also but yeah there, there's probably multiple releases from Criterion is probably the most recent Blu-ray, I would guess, unless it's a little bit older of a release. But I don't know much about the Criterion release. I, but yeah, it's it's uh it's out there. Take the chance, rent it from your local library, wherever you need to get it from. Do it. 
Redemption and love. That's what it's about. Anything else that's you want to say? That's what life's about, baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I'm good. All right. Gracias, muchachos, for listening to another Searchers episode. Send your mailbags into the Searchers podcast at gmail.com. Please like, rate, and subscribe to us on the various platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google, and Podbean. All right, well, I'm going to flip my coin, and I'll see you later, Chris. <laughs> heads. If it's heads, what? We stay? Tails, if we go? Heads, if, it's heads, we rec- if it's heads, we should record for another hour. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs>